0: The Spin-off Podcast Network.
1: Tallow for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate.
0: You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Sparklab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound.
2: About two years ago, the rent went up on a much-loved cookie shop near the Civic in Auckland. Mustache Cookies was facing a 40% rent hike. Owner Deanna Yang, a constant presence at both the store and through her blog where she shared the ups and downs of entrepreneurship as a woman in her early 20s, as founder, owner, baker, inventor and social media campaigner, growing the biz and giving back in many ways. So when she put the call out on Pledge Me for a campaign with the community to help ditch the rent and restore a bus, $91,000 came in. It's just one of the ways Deanna has set a goal and smashed it. And to chat her life and business, Deanna joins us now. G'day. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you very much for coming in today. Tell yeah. us, what's the origin story of moustache cookies?
1: Well, moustache kind of started actually way back when I was about eight years old. So I come from a solo uh, mother family of three children So we didn't really have that much money growing up and um, mum, what she would do, she would, instead of buying a lot of treats from the supermarket, she would bake everything herself. So one of my fondest childhood childhood memories was waking up to the smell of freshly baked goods and um, one of my favourite treats was, you know, the humble milk and cookie. Um, And I guess that's what cookies kind of symbolized to me is that um, it reminds me of that childlike nostalgia that um, you know that simple things are good and good things are simple and so that's kind of where the inspiration first took hold in my heart I guess um, and I, I really enjoyed um, writing um, so I actually I actually went to study journalism at university and I kind of left all the baking at the wayside but I um, my, my dad used to always say that I was born to do baking, because, uh, sorry, I was born to do business because he would always find like coins in my diapers every time he changed them. <laughs> and um,
2: yeah.
1: and I, I guess like growing up, I, I would always have my own little businesses. So when I was like um, about eight or nine as well, I started uh, Deanna Craig, which is like Jenny Craig, but for cats, a gym for cats. So I was always kind of <laughs> starting up little ventures in my own little house. Was,
2: was there a big kind of overweight cat problem in your neighborhood?
1: Well, well, I only had one client and that was my own cat and he was called Catsy. <laughs> and um, he he did lose like, um, he lost a pound through the Deanna Craig program. So it was successful. Um <laughs> But yeah, so if if it all goes down pear shaped with mustache, I might I might go back into Deanna Craig. Um, but yeah, I think I, going through university um, and kind of getting jobs in communications and um, in journalism, I discovered that kind of it didn't speak to my heart um, as I hoped it would. And um, we were we were moving house at that time, I remember, and I was looking through a lot of my old um, books and. Um, collections and I found this old bucket list that I'd written when I was eight years old and number one at the very top of that bucket list it said open a cookie shop and um, there were a lot of other things on the list number two was actually own a racing car bed Um, (laughs) I didn't do that Um, but I I did do number one which was um, I decided that I'd open up my own cookie shop.
2: That's so cool that you were inspired by Your earlier self to to take that jump, what was involved? So you you saved up and did you kind of pull together friends and family? And how did you actually go from that dream to, to hanging out the sign?
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, um, all of my family and friends actually thought the idea was really ridiculous. Um, From the name, they thought moustache was a very stupid name. (laughs) Um, They all thought the idea was uh, totally barbaric. They thought it was just a ridiculous idea altogether. I mean, just milk and cookies. They thought it's too simple. You need to sell, um, you need to sell pies, you need to sell sandwiches. And I, I was very indignant that I didn't because I thought that's what made it special was that we um, did one thing and we did that one thing well um, because there's a there's a thousand cafes but there's no other milk and cookie bars so um everything kind of um it was a point where you know you have to back yourself until others have no choice and to believe in you too so I um basically I picked it was it was my second year at university that that I decided that I didn't want to do journalism anymore and that I wanted to um, start a cookie shop. So I picked up uh, three jobs, three part-time jobs, and I had a little juice stall at the La Girl French Markets. So basically um, I just had no social life. I was a bit of a lone wolf at university. I didn't um, go out, and I just... um, I was a bartender at night time, then on the weekends I did my juice stall, um, and I was a uh, sold cl- clothes and retail, um, and I had, um, and then I had university during the day still, so um, basically, just worked myself and saved up that capital because I wanted to have enough capital for when I graduated and I could start straight away.
2: And right from the beginning. You were taking other people on the journey with you through your skills as a writer and communicator uh, with the blog and sharing the journey. Did that come about as like a strategy or was it just like the most natural thing in the world to share your story?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I don't believe that anything in life, whether it's a mistake or if it's um, a success or uh, something where you've fallen down or not taken that route, um, everything that you do in life contributes to the person that you've become and that that includes um, my choice to take journalism. Um, obviously a lot of those skills have played a huge part in how Moustache um, was created and um, yeah, the blog and my writing, um, that's where a lot of people have connected to the brand and connected to me as a person behind the brand. Um, so, yeah, that, I guess that is definitely a strong point and something that I've I've learned from journalism, yeah.
2: You hear a lot in business about this idea of, you know, fake it till you make it, but you never faked it. You would tell the stories of the hard and the good and the early starts and the stress and, and, and the good times as well, but it really, I think, um, that connection that, that you created was because you were so real. Um, what, what What led you to kind of want to present like that or is it something that you developed over
1: time I guess there was that element of I don't know anything I don't know how to do this but I'm going to yeah as you say fake it till you make it but then as I do that there's a point where I'm not um I'm not hiding I guess the struggles that I've had in doing and taking that leap of faith so um I just my mentality is you know just do just go just create and you know figure out along the way and be open with your failures and mistakes and that's where I've I've used my blog to be very open about my shortcomings and my successes and so it's just a very transparent way of um, connecting to my audience. And
2: after battling because it's so hard to start a business and get the capital together and, and like you say the banks say no and everyone says no <laughs> and then and then you got it to a stage where it was a thriving little business and the rent went up like the landlords put the rent up that, that kind of thing crushes the life out of small businesses in a city and tell us about how you you told that story and turned that into something that was an opportunity for you where some people would have gone oh well this is just the the last
1: yeah I mean the first because the first couple years for us were very tumultuous in the sense that I didn't expect um mustache to kind of explode the way it did I mean we were like a three three by four meter store a very tiny store by the civic and um even for that little store the rent was already quite expensive because it's uh city center um, And so I, I kind of, you know, we, we installed this whole kitchen. I spent months and months trying to build this kitchen and all my life savings were put into this kitchen. Um, we had a tiny little kitchen aid that could only make 30 cookies at a time because I thought I would only sell maybe 60 to 90 cookies. And then I've up, subsequently upgraded that like so many times until we, you know, now we, in one batch we'll be making like thousands of cookies. So um, it because everything kind of, I was always kind of, I felt like I was chasing my tail a lot of the time in the first two years because it it, it didn't go as I had planned in a good way. Mm. Um, you know, it's a good problem to have. But I think um, for a small business, it just, we had kind of just found our feet. And, um, you know, it's not like in hospitality, you invest all this money and then a year later, you're boom, you're a millionaire. you know. Um, it's 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 a long-term sort of game. And so after two years having the rent go up by 40%, it was quite crippling to us as a small business and um, it kind of swept the wind out from under me. But um, I guess we were negotiating a lot and trying to um, t- trying to deal with it, I guess, amicably behind the scenes, but it, it didn't really go the way that we wanted to. Um, and I decided, well, I can either suck it up and I can keep going forth with this but deep down, I, I didn't feel very good about it. Um, I felt like I would just be bound down to something that I really didn't agree with, because the properties next door meant to me were actually paying far less than I was, and their properties were actually, you know, had bigger street frontage and were better than mine. Um, so I thought, you know, I started a moustache because it was something that I loved to do, and this was starting to strip the love out of that for me and I was thinking about this rent thing and this money thing and it took over my heart and that wasn't good so I said you know what you know moustache doesn't exist within these four walls it's something that I've created and I can take that with me so that's when I even though I love that store you know there's something about your beginning store I decided um, to shut that down and to start from scratch because that's what I believed was right with my heart what
2: a huge decision to make because you've built up, because you were in the store every day from first thing, you know, building it up customer by customer across all that time. And there wasn't anything except, you, you know, you, you and the, the walls. So what a huge decision to make. <laughs> and and what, what, what was it that made you go completely mobile by um, deciding to get the bus?
1: Yeah, so it was quite an interesting time because we had a lot of people kind of tell me what to do. Um, and we had a lot of, I guess, investors come on at that point and they wanted a little bit of this and a little bit of that and everyone had their own vision for what they wanted Moustache to become. Um, and the overwhelming response was, it's a very stupid decision to close that store <laughs> and that owning a bus is even stupider. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone <laughs> agreed with that decision, actually. Um, um uh, so when I announced that I think there was a lot of surprise uh, we didn't go I, I did explore I'm a very open-minded person so I did explore other options like okay maybe we should take on investment maybe we should do this it was a lot of opportunities so I went overseas and I explored because we had a lot of overseas people interested as well so I went overseas and met with people again uh, I guess I'm not much of a numbers girl um, I but I I run the business through my heart, which you know I don't know if that's a right way or a wrong way. A lot of people say that it's not. <laughs> you shouldn't. You should business and your heart and emotion should never come into it, but that's just how I've done it. I've I've kind of navigated through how I feel, um, and what I'm inspired and where my love is kind of taking me. And so I I thought I've on my bucket list actually from when I was eight also was to have a you know a food truck one day. So I thought look, this idea came out of that random bucket list from when I was a child. Why not do it again? So I thought, yeah, I'm going to buy a food truck. But I didn't want it to be any food truck. That's why I thought I originally wanted a double-decker bus um, so I could have seating up top and the kitchen down below. That's clever. Yes, but, um, well... Then we couldn't find a double-decker, so we got the single-decker bus. And that is massive, and we've obviously has its own set of logistical problems as well. Um, And now I'm glad I didn't get the double-decker bus. (laughs) So, um, no, I think it was us thinking, look, with a bus you're not going to have landlord issues if you have a problem which sometimes we have had with some of our um, places that we we can just drive away mm. and that, that freedom and that control is, is quite liberating so I think for me at that time it, I just wanted to have a more flexible solution.
2: Mm. And, and you went out there and went to the community and raised $91,000 which is amazing uh, Lord chipped in and, and said you know support the Save Mustache campaign when uh, the, the rent questions were on and then you used social media in the community to drum up custom you know said tell us where to drive the bus so you were creating customers before you even headed out there so you're looking at it from the um with hindsight it looks like a series of very good social media campaigns and some great advertising but it was all real along the way
1: when we had the crowd fund, I had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of emails and messages all saying first memories of the shop or that the person they married, they actually met in our shop and, um, you know, how it's kind of become, I guess, an institution or an icon of the area and we're only two years old. So <laughs> it was um, it was really a humbling experience and to see, you know, to raise $91,000 in four weeks. To save moustache was uh, was just so nice to see community back us and you know give us that validation. That's so cool. And and you came
2: back so you toured around the uh, the country with the the bus and went and visited moustache fans up and down uh, the islands and then um, came back and set up stores again. So what's the current kind of footprint of the business?
1: So we yeah we went around touring and that was in the summer. that was you know two months um visiting all these people and that was a really great experience very one-on-one um and then we came home and we opened the auckland university store first actually um and that was always a thing that i'd wanted to do was to have a store on campus because a lot of our um, fans are the younger generation Mm. um and then after that, we, we had the K Road store open. And it was unfortunate sort of timing because what was kind of meant to happen was that we were meant to have the bus for, you know, a good length of time, about a year or so, settle in, open the next store. But just so happened that um, the lease that we'd signed for K Road It was meant to be delayed a lot more but then the building construction was fast so then it just happened and then au approached us about a month before that was meant to be built and that just happened and then everything kind of happened at the same time
2: so you suddenly ended up with two, two, two stores and a bus. <laughs> yeah.
1: So pretty, yeah. So so before I knew it, within the space of six months, we had we had three we had three little stores, um, which was beyond my expectations. Yeah. But and, and at the time when all of this was happening, I was actually in Wellington with the bus. So we we move. I moved my life down to Wellington, thinking I'll stay in Wellington for a bit, and then suddenly everyone's like, no, we we're putting this store and this store, and so I had to come back home, and bam, we had three stores. And does that make it? Um,
2: is that the scale you need for it all to make sense? Does that make it easier or harder, or what changes when you end up having a chain like that?
1: Yeah, sometimes I think back and I'm like, oh man, those good old Wellesley Street days when I just had one store and a small set of staff. Um, but there's been so many challenges going from one to three. It's a very, it's a very different. Um, game and also we've we never had like an online store before and now we have an online store and now 50 of, percent of our sales actually come solely from the internet wow. um so how moustache operates now to how it operated five years ago is completely different um you know online is a game changer um, we also started doing vegan cookies for the last six months We've only been doing that six months, and now vi- we sell more vegan cookies than we do of our regular cookies.
2: Really? It, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: we we sell a lot of vegan cookies. So it's it's just fascinating that you know when you go into something, you need to know to fall in love with the process and not so much with the product, because five years ago I wouldn't have thought oh, my whole business is actually making vegan cookies. You're not not when you
2: started as a yeah, milk and cookie it, bar. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, you know, back in the day, I used to, we used to get a few vegans um, into our Wella Zoo street store and they'd be like, oh, do you guys do vegan and i used to kind of you know scoff a bit because i'm like you know i I likened it to you know being going to a butcher and then being like oh do you not sell meat you know so i just thought it was such a strange thing to come into a milk bar and ask but we do it now and so you know you should never say never and um yeah the the so the business is always developing and I have no idea where it's going to take me because six months ago I didn't even know that we'd be pumping out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of vegan cookies every single week.
2: How, how do you stay open to allow those opportunities to happen? Because I look uh, from the outside and um, you know, I've been, been following your journey for the last few years um, and just really admired the way that you bring the community in and you co-create things, whether it's um, the size of a cookie or the cookie dough kind of idea or, you know, a new concept or the vegan, vegan cookies. Like how do you stay open to those opportunities?
1: I think it's us not having the, not having the arrogance to believe that what you were doing is always right. Um, There are new ideas out there, different niches out there. Um, I think I would say that I'm somebody that would give everything a go and I'm happy to be proven wrong. So I was very sceptical about doing vegan products. I thought it kind of went against the grain of what we did, really. Um, But I thought, you know, I'll give it a go. And the more I looked into it, the more it kind of made sense and... Yeah, like I said, it's now our biggest seller. We some sell,
2: <laughs> Vegans <laughs> deserve treats too.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean now I've yeah. cut now I've yeah. um learned so much about veganism and now I've cut down my meat intake by, you know, drastically now yeah. and I've kind of changing my own ways. So it's just so interesting how the world takes you on a journey. Yeah, so you just got I've just I just embrace the journey and I don't get too stuck as to I'm gonna do this and this is how it's gonna be. When
2: you started out and you were having difficulty getting loans from banks, would you have known a few years later that you'd be the face of a visa campaign up and down the country? Tell me how that happened.
1: It was quite a shock to see my face just up and it was like in Britomart and Newmarket and very high-profile spaces. Um, yeah, no, it was it was a funny turn of events for me to go from somebody who banks wouldn't even talk to to, um, to somebody now that has got you know twenty foot bullboards. <laughs> Um but I think that's kind of where a lot where a lot of it's going now with um, in terms of people are realising that the uniqueness of smaller brands and that heart to heart sort of thing um, kind of is more important than you know having I guess a big corporate story or a big success story. They just want to kind of have more grassroots stuff. So um it, I think a lot of my fans are really, really, really excited when they saw our small little company on the billboards that everybody was writing in. So yeah, it's a it was an interesting turn of events for me.
2: And as a result of that, uh and and that um, image being shared widely by Visa online, it surfaced some of the kind of Uh, nastiness that New Zealand likes to pretend that it doesn't have much of a problem with, yet if you talk to anyone who isn't a Pākehā New Zealander, they'll tell you that problem's out there. And that's that kind of low-level racism that that, that people face. And you wrote a really fascinating blog to talk about your experience of being born in Waitakere Hospital and growing (laughs) up in New Zealand, but being told the whole time to... To go home to your own country and, and treat it in unusual ways. T- tell us tell us about that.
1: You know, when I had the visa campaign, there was an overwhelming amount of positive feedback. But you know, there has to be a opposing side to that. There's never a unanimous sort of love. Um, so we, I did I did receive a little bit of um, backlash, some comments on it. Um, one of them being, um, person saying, "Oh, Asians on a New Zealand." add God help us and there are a couple others that also you know echo the similar sort of vein of thought um and and it it wasn't something that really surprised me actually it's um something that I I actually came to expect um but most of the time growing up in New Zealand the those sort of comments weren't quite tangible they're things that are yelled to me on the street or um uh, you know, expressed in a in a in a business meeting, perhaps, or um, so. This was the first time that I had something that was written down and tangible, and so that's why I kind of thought I should um, write my honest thoughts, and I, I kind of wrote that blog post about it. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting because. The, after I wrote that blog post, there was a lady who, um, who rang me up. She had somehow found out my phone number, my private number, and she, she rang me and she was screaming at me on the phone and saying, like, you know, everything that I said, because, you know, the, the story got picked up in the New Zealand Herald. Yeah. It got picked up in stuff. It got picked up on even the project. So it kind of went a bit viral, which is, which is crazy. Um, and, and the lady was screaming and she was saying, like, you know, I shouldn't be saying these sort of stories because um, it's not true because, you know, I had mentioned how in Gisborne I'd been stopped in the supermarket before and people were kind of questioning like about my ethnicity and things like that. And she said, you know, you know, our, our, our mayor in Gisborne is, is Asian and did you know that he's Asian? And, you know, there's no way that that happened to you. And There's <laughs> no way that that could have happened to you. There's no way people are saying this stuff. Like, you must be making it up. You shouldn't go to the paper. You shouldn't have said all these things. And, and I kind of... I kind of I did listen to her, and I, my overwhelming thought in my head was, you know, when you, um, when you say that a problem doesn't exist because you have never experienced it yourself or because you've never seen it yourself, that is privilege you know that's the privilege of not being screamed out on the street in Wellington that you fuck you Asian cunt you know these are the things that just happened to me last year um they happen to me on a regular basis um so it was quite nice that's a good thing about social media is that um, you no longer have to be a big corporate with a lot of money to be able to share your story and I think honestly New Zealanders um are, you know I love New Zealand it's a great place to be and I think um every place is going to have those sort of people wherever you go um but it was it's just, it was overwhelming the positive feedback from that blog as well and um you know it's just it's a little bit heartwarming so yeah
2: that is just so funny. Terrible funny, but funny that someone <laughs> would call you up and tell you that your experience is is wrong. And it's like it's like the internet comment section has tracked you down and given you a call. What was the what was uh, so, so the the thing with kind of taking sharing that experience and letting people know that's there is that it helps other people who are in that boat know that they can push through and you know what's your experience been of people coming to you and saying thank you for sharing that it's made it easier for me
1: yeah um I guess for me, that is the reason why I started that blog in the first place was because it was merely a platform to tell my story. Um, You know, everybody has their own, I guess, issues or problems or setbacks or barriers. Mine just happens to be that um, I'm female, I am Asian, um, and I'm young. Um, so those are the stories that come through in my blog. And um, yeah, it's it's amazing how many people will write in and, and say that, you know, uh, it's through that story that they've been inspired to start their own thing and um, to push through and that they're not alone. And I think that's the thing with social media and the internet these days is that, you know, it's meant to make you feel more connected, but it, a lot of the time it makes people feel more alone because they're putting up this image that it isn't quite real. And, um, I think I just want to encourage people to be, um, more transparent and real because when you open up your insecurities and when, when you reveal what's really going on, you know, that's when people actually come out and they want to help or they want to share or want they want to be with you. And, um, that's really empowering in itself.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I, in terms of the blog and the way you tell it, I mean, I think, uh, there's that lovely line you can't be it until you see it and so people can uh pe- people can see you doing it well and I think one of the things that's probably been the success is not just been the fact that you're telling you know making it sound like it's all hard times and like horror <laughs> like it's a very funny blog and you know it's laugh out loud funny and a really great kind of personality comes through and I think that kind of positivity as well must be a huge part of the Success there. Um, Yeah, and and talking about that, like, what kind of things do you think it takes, like, kind of character traits to be successful and to kind of keep pushing through and and build like you have?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think life is all about balance. Um, So, yeah, of course, (laughs) a lot of my blog sometimes sounds like it's a bit doom and gloom, and, um, you know, I talk about bad experiences and sad experiences and the worst of times, but... uh, (laughs) In all of that, you have to, you know, what I say to myself is, you have to enjoy, not endure. So all of that crap that happened is going to keep happening. There is no end to the crap that happens in life, you know. And the sooner that you get used to the idea and accept the idea that you, you know, business is kind of, you know, a bit, you know, you gotta, you gotta eat shit sometimes, you know. It's a bit of a shit sandwich sometimes. So I think. Um, it's just having the balance to know that these things are going to happen, but to laugh along the way, to learn along the way, to not put so much pressure on yourself to be this person all the time, um, to have it to know the answers, to, to be right all the time. So I think for me is, I guess, having that balance between just enjoying enjoying what's coming to you, embracing it, and instead of just enduring it until one day it will be over because it's not going to be over.
2: <laughs> do, do you have any kind of um, things you wish you'd learned earlier or like if you could go back, you know, it's only, it's only what, five or six years since you started, so it's pretty quick to have built so quickly, but is there any advice you'd go back and, and give the young self?
1: I think it would... I think because I've always had a lot of anxiety growing up. Um, I guess coming from a solo parent family, I've had a lot of pressure on myself to perform, and to um, be this person for my family, to be this person to to do good for others, um, and therefore that relied on my success. But you know, I kind of believe that as humans, we have a right to action, but not to the fruit so the only thing that i have a right to is to keep moving to create to keep creating to keep doing to be the best person that i can be but i do not have a right to the fruit of that action so i need to just um and that helps me kind of take the pressure off myself and to know that you know what i am and what i am doing is enough um and the rest will follow if you're passionate about something if you're hardworking, um and if you love something um I would hope that, you know, that will endure. Um, so I think these days a lot of the, the resounding theme against uh, that all the young people are saying to me is that, oh, I'm so scared of failure. I'm so scared of what my friends will think about me. And so looking back at myself, it's like, yeah, I felt the same way, but you need to just keep creating regardless of that.
2: That's so magic. Thank you so much for coming and chatting to us today, Deanna Yang, who's the founder and owner of Mustache, which started as a milk and cookie bar and has three outposts now across Auckland and the online store. So... Head along to Moustache Online and see if you can't get yourself some of those vegan cookies sent to you (laughs) and keep that 50% of (laughs) online business going. That's so cool. Thanks so much for coming today. No
1: Rose, Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you very much to Jose Barbosa for producing today and thank you very much
0: for listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by the spinoff and Callahan Innovation. From the spin-off podcast network that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometers of cycle paths across Tamaki Makaurau, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spinoff Podcast Network.